0: We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So it's an incredible passage of Scripture. It answers some questions that many of us have all the time, you know, dealing with relationship issues, you know, especially after we've been wronged or we've been hurt by someone. You know, often people will be like, how do I know that they're telling me the truth now? You know, they lied to me before. they, They gossiped about me before. How can I trust them now? How do I know that they've changed? You know, often we, we even ask the question, maybe we don't put it this way in a personal relationship, but, but how do I bring them back into that close relationship? How do I restore someone? How, how do I, you know, say a Sunday school teacher sins and, you know, and, and they have to step out for a while, you know? How, how do we restore them back into that position, And we all deal with this, and the Scripture is going to speak of that tonight as we look at this story. You know, because someone has sinned against you or offended you in some way, and often it's not the first time. How do we deal with this? And God's Word speaks to us of these things tonight, and I pray that God will teach us how to discern those things for our life today. We're going to pick up where Pastor Dave Barnes left off two Wednesday nights ago in Genesis 44. We're deep into the life of Joseph. I I, I want to try to do a quick review. It's probably a little longer than a quick review, but there's some significant things that set up this week. The sons of Jacob, Joseph's brothers, they've had to go down to Egypt for food, right? You guys remember that part of the story. Joseph is now, we would use the term prime minister. It's not really the term we see in the scripture, but he's second in command in Egypt. Pharaoh had a dream. He interpreted the dream. He didn't. God gave him the interpretation to the dream. And and the the dream was there were going to be seven really good years of prosperity, and there were going to be seven years of really bad famine. They've already come through two years of famine desperate need, right? There's, there's great need in Canaan. And, and, and you think about that, and if we put it in today's language, how long could you last if tomorrow you went to Publix, Walmart, wherever, Aldi, and there was no groceries in the store? You'd be like, I'll go back tomorrow. And you'd see that line wrapping around the building, and you'd be like, well, maybe the next day. Then you're gonna be thinking about I'm gonna get in my car and I'm gonna to drive to Georgia or something, you know. How long would you last without food? And that's what these guys are facing. There's a famine. And it's so bad. He sends them, you know, it'd be like, I'm gonna to go to Mexico. Maybe we can bring some tacos back or something, you know? He sends them to Egypt, where of course they run into their brother who's now prime minister. Of course, they don't know who he is. In your head, you might be going, "How can that be? How did they not recognize their own brother? Well, one, they think their own brother is dead. <laughs> How could he possibly be prime minister? He was sold as a slave. He's wearing the headgear and the look, and he doesn't look like a Hebrew anymore. He's speaking an Egyptian, if Egyptian's a language, right? They don't recognize him. He doesn't reveal himself. And I believe he wants to know some information about his brothers. Have they changed? They sinned against me really bad. (laughs) Have they changed? Have they repented of their sin? How are they treating my little brother, Benjamin? And he's wondering, what is this like? What's going on? And, and, and I believe he is examining their lives. What's going on in their lives? And, and of course, we know, I, I mean, I hope we know, God is at work here, right? We sing that song, he's always working, even when we don't see him, he's working. Right? We, we know from Genesis chapter 15 and verse 13, I think it will be on the screen for you tonight. God is speaking to Abraham, and he's talking about the future. You know, he's telling Abraham what's going to happen. And in verse 13, the Lord said to Abraham, he says, know for certain that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own. And they will be enslaved and mistreated there. I skipped down to verse 16. And it says, in the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. So God is arranging nations and peoples. He's got a plan and he's working and he's working it through the life of Joseph. You know, we, we have a small group of Bible study here we do. that's called Experiencing God. I'm sure many of you have done that. You, you know, in, in Experiencing God, it says, you know, see what God is doing and join in with what God's doing. Don't say, hey, God, I'm doing this. Come over here. God is is working in Joseph's life. And Joseph is experiencing God in a way that is really, really incredible. But most of us would not say, hey, sign me up for slavery, God. (laughs) And so Joseph, he accuses them of being spies. And they say, we're not spies. (laughs) You know, we got a dad, we got a little brother back home, they're starving, we just come for food. Joseph said, no, you're spies. Remember, he took Simeon and he put Simeon in jail and said, unless you come back with your little brother, you won't even see my face again. You will get nothing from me unless you come back with your little brother. He wanted to see his little brother. You know, maybe you don't remember this. I know I didn't until I was studying this again. But, you know, Joseph and Benjamin were the last two of the 12 born. They were the only two born to his favorite wife, Rachel, right? And, and, and his own blood brother, what's happened to him, right? That, that's, I, I believe that's part of what's on his heart. He, he wants to maybe save his little brother, right, from what he went through. He says, I won't even deal with you unless Benjamin is with you, right? And so, so they go home. They tell dad this. And there's still the famine going on. And it's starve or take Benjamin. And so Jacob finally gives in and he says, take Benjamin. So again, it's out of need. It's necessity that draws them to go back down to Egypt. I think this is one of the lessons for us tonight. Sometimes it's out of the midst of necessity that we find ourselves in the middle of God's will. Sometimes we, it's because of our need that we find ourselves in God's will. It, we have a Calvary Chapel saying, a, a Chuckism, as it said, where God guides, He provides. And, and so in our need, we, we end up going and find the place where God is, is leading us to. It, And it was starve or take Benjamin. And if we remember, right, we just read God said you are going to leave this land for 400 years. They're supposed to be going to Egypt. God has provided for them. He's placed Joseph there in a position of power. That they're going to be set aside to grow into a nation. They go down as a family. They're going to come out as a nation. God is working in all this. And it's necessity that made them move. We see this in other places in the Scripture. Right? Most of us know the Great Commission, right? Go into all the world and make disciples. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth, right? We all know that. And, and you read in the book of Acts, what did they do? The disciples formed a holy huddle in Jerusalem. Us four, no more. You know, they didn't want to go out anywhere. They just stayed until what happened? Persecution came. Their need for safety. See ya. They got into God's will. We, we see it in the book of Judges. God blesses. They turn from God. In, in need, they call back out to God, deliver us. He sends a judge. I, I know in my own life, you know, I'm an engineer by training, My first job was over in Bartow, Florida. And uh, I worked there for a year. At the end of the year, the the company was going under. This, I guess, next week, 40 years ago, the company I worked at got shut down. 650 people laid off. I was happy in Bartow. I loved it there. We were going to this little old Baptist church. Because I thought church was something you went to with your family. I was not being trained. I was not learning the word of God. And God moved us out of need because I had a, needed a job. <laughs> I needed to provide for my family because that's what I'm supposed to do. I, I end up over on the space coast working at the Space Center. And I got plugged into a church where God began to transform my life. It was out of need. So sometimes there's going to be needs that's going to come into your life. And, and so sometimes we're like, oh, bummer. We, we great under the need. Look for God in the middle of that need. See how he's leading you, how he's directing you. Allow him to speak to you. Don't say, talk to the hand. I'm not interested, God. I want to stay right here where I'm comfortable. So they go back to Egypt. When they get there, they're invited to dinner with Joseph. He sets them all around the table. Remember last week or two weeks ago? Sorry. Remember he set them in order from eldest to the youngest. It freaks them out. I guess the scripture doesn't say freaks them out. It says they were astonished. They were amazed. It freaked them out. How did he do that? How does he know? And he's known that he has this ability to see visions and that type of stuff. That's how he became, you know. The grand poobah, prime minister. How does he know? And you might be like, well, what's the big deal? Just put 11 people in order. Do you know that's one in 40 million chance to do that? You know, that'd be like buying several lottery tickets. And I'm not saying buy lottery tickets, all right? But it'd be like being able to buy, you know, two or three, four lottery tickets and win in a row to get one out of 40 million? They're going, how did he do that? You know, and they're thinking it's because he has these magical, mystical powers. It's an important part of our study tonight. They think he has these abilities to know things that he shouldn't know. But he's a brother. (laughs) There's nothing magical about it. There's nothing mystical about it. He's not divining with his cup to find out anything. He's a brother. But he leads them to think. Because he wants to examine their hearts. You know, that he has this ability. You know, and and then in the story last week, another important thing was he gave Benjamin five times the amount of food, five times the blessing that the other guys got, showing favoritism to this younger brother. You know, that's why Joseph got thrown into the pit. He wants to see how his brothers are dealing with the younger brother being a favorite. He wants to know, have they changed? Right? He's testing their hearts to see, have they changed? He's been in the midst of a 20-year trial. Imagine that, huh? I, I don't like to stand in line in the cash register. 20-year trial? It Brings us to chapter 44. Now Joseph gave these instructions to the steward of his house. Fill the men's sack with as much food as they can carry. And put each man's silver in the mouth of his sack. Then put my cup, the silver one, in the mouth of the youngest one's sack. Along with the silver for his grain. And, as he, and he did as Joseph said. As morning dawned, the men were sent on their way with their donkeys. They had not gone far from the city when Joseph said to his steward, Go after those men at once. And when you catch up with them, say to them, why have you repaid good with evil? Isn't this the cup my master drinks from and also uses for divination? This is a wicked thing you have done. Now, when I read this, maybe when you read this, you kind of scratch your head and go, what in the world did the steward think when he said that? He told him to put it in there, and then he's going to go tell them that they stole it? Uh, we don't know what went on behind the scenes. Maybe he talked to the steward and said, you know, hey, look, I'm trying to find out about these guys, you know, whatever, right? I, I, the, the point that, that I think is interesting or isn't to me, right, is because all of us are stewards. Right, We're stewards of what God has given to us. And what is required of a steward is to be faithful. You know, sometimes God might speak to you or speak to me to do something, then we just go, I don't understand that, God. Why would you want me to do that? Why would you want me to go up and tell that person that God loves them? Why would you want me to go forgive this person that hurt me? But you're a steward. We're supposed to be faithful. Right? And, and so he tells the steward to do this. And again, we don't know what's all behind it, but he does what he's told to do. Right? This is part of the test. He planted the evidence. You know, and, and there's no indication that Joseph actually did divination. I, I mean, think about it. The silver cup that he used, he didn't even have. So he didn't take the cup, and because you know, what they would do—that really we we know from history that they would do this type of thing. They, they had these divination cups. I, I had a friend; he used to go to church here. He's passed on. he's with the Lord now. And before he was a Christian, he would divine for water. You guys remember seeing that type of stuff on movies? They'd have a piece of wood with a Y in it, and, and they would shake like this, and you know, you'd go, you know, you'd find where water is. You know, they would have this cup and they would look in the cup and be able to tell somebody's future. And you're probably going, Oh, I've heard of tasographia. Reading tea leaves, right? It's the same idea, you know, to, to be able to to look in a cup of tea leaves and tell somebody's future. That's what they're saying, Joseph, they're thinking he does. The scripture's really clear, guys. We are not supposed to do anything. There's a, a Christian is not supposed to be involved in divination. It's condemned in the scriptures. Right? In in, in the book of Deuteronomy, in the law. Scripture clearly tells us in Deuteronomy 18, verse 10. Let no one be found among you who sacrifices their son or daughter to the fire. We go, okay, yeah, understand that. We're not supposed to do that. Or who practices divination or sorcery, interprets omens or engages in witchcraft. We see this throughout the scripture. We see in 1 Samuel where you know, Saul failed to destroy all the Malachites, And God spoke to him and said, You know, rebellion is as witchcraft, divination, sorcery. It uses those three words in in three different English translations. It's an abomination to the Lord. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 20, it's listed amongst the, the works of the flesh. Sorcery is listed as one of those things that if you participate in those, you don't get to go to the kingdom of heaven. God feels seriously about this. Things that in our world today seem harmless. You know, our modern world, we, we you know, it, it comes up, you know, it, most of you may know that I was a missionary in Peru for 19 years. And, and I didn't watch TV down there very much because it was in Spanish and I didn't know much Spanish. But every time, once in a while, I'd flip it on and say, maybe there's something in English on here, you know, in At certain times of the day, there would be somebody on there reading tarot cards or or telling horoscopes. You you know, I'm, I'm sorry I don't look at the newspaper a whole lot here, but it's probably still in the newspaper. You can look up and see what your horoscope is. And God says, what are you doing? Ouija boards, those types of things are really entanglements with sorcery and witchcraft. You know, looking to some other power source rather than the holy God who wants to direct your life. I'm looking to the stars to tell me what to do when Jesus, his spirit lives in me and wants to direct my life. God says don't have anything to do with that. Right, in in Acts chapter 19, verse 9, the the believers, these new believers, it says, who had practiced witchcraft... They brought their books together and burned them in the sights of all. Uh, you, you know, uh, I would almost suggest if you have a Ouija board, that tonight when you light your fireplace, you throw it in. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it, we got no business having that stuff. Verse 6. When he called up with them, he repeated these words to them. But they said to him, why does my Lord say such things? This is the brothers. Far be it from your servants do anything like that. We even brought back to you from the land of Canaan the silver we found inside the mouths of our sacks. So why would we steal silver or gold from your master's house? If any of your servants is found to have it, he will die. And the rest of us will become my Lord's slaves. So, so they were so sure Right? That nobody had taken anything. They said, you can kill whoever's taken it. That's pretty harsh. And let me tell you, that is not from the heart of God. Right? One of the you know characters, one of the traits of God that we have to know is that God is just. Right? God is just. You know, we we, we understand God is love. We, we understand God is eternal. God is just. One of his immutable characters. He is just. That's why in the law he said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. That speaks of justice, that, that the penalty should fit the crime. You know, if it's too harsh, it's wrong. If it's too lenient, it's wrong. You know, to, to, to kill someone for stealing was was not appropriate. And, and, and so we see this character of God, just he is just. That's not how it would be in God's eyes. Very well, in verse 10 it says, the, the, the steward says back to him, let it be as you say. Whoever is found the habit will become my slave and the rest of you will be freed from blame. You know, So he's, the steward is being more just than the children of God are. Verse 11, each of them quickly lowered his sack to the ground and opened it. Then the steward proceeded to search, beginning with the oldest and ending with the youngest. And the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. Oh, can you imagine? And they tore their clothes. And they loaded our the donkeys and returned to the city. Right? They were crushed when they found this cup. And little baby brother sack. How did it get there? It says they tore their clothes. It, it, in, in our mind, it's, what do you mean they tore their clothes, you know? well We tear our clothes, we, we run down to Salvation Army or Walmart or whatever and we get something new, you know? To tear their clothes. They didn't have a closet full of clothes like you and I do. It, it, was, it, it, it brought across the emotion of severe grieving. As if somebody died. That's how bad they felt. And and so they returned to the city. (laughs) What a change, huh? Before they sold their brother into slavery and said, see ya. Wouldn't want to be ya. And now their brother is going to become a slave and they're going down with him. Verse 14. Joseph was still in the house when Judah and his brothers came in and they threw themselves to the ground before him. Right? This is the third time that they fulfilled Joseph's prophecy back from, from Genesis 37, part of what, you know, really got the brothers upset at him. You know, I, saw, I had this dream, and, and, you know, you guys are going to bow down before me. Here they're doing it a third time. Verse 15, Joseph said to them, What is this you have done? Don't you know that a man like me can find things out by divination? Right? So he, he charges them. What have you done? You can't expect to get away with something like this. It's such a foolish crime. How do you expect me not to know? I, I mean, they've already been amazed that he knew who they were and could set them in order. He he was able to know. How was he to know? He put the cup in the bag. That's how he knew. He didn't divine anything. (laughs) Verse 16. What can we say to my Lord, Judah replied? What can we say? How can we prove our innocence? God has uncovered your servant's guilt. Wow. Wow. Covered your servant's guilt. What guilt? They're not guilty of stealing a cup. right? They're not guilty of that. But deep inside, they were guilty of something much, much worse. They sold their brother into slavery. They believed that their brother had been killed. They led their father to believe that his favorite son, had been killed by wild animals. They, they, they knew what they had done was way worse than stealing a cup. Can you imagine walking around for 20 years carrying this guilt on their shoulder? You, you know, in the beginning, of course, the, the, the first couple years, probably they'd walk around the corner and they go, oh, there's Joseph. And, and, and they, they would have this awareness of, He could be there at any moment. And then they started carrying this guilt that we, I killed my own brother. And they're carrying this guilt and they're carrying this guilt. They've come to this place, like, you know, many people believe, you know, what goes around comes around. Our sins uncovered. The truth, though, is many of us can imagine what this is like. There may be some of you here tonight that are carrying guilt. Maybe something's happened in your family. Maybe you're guilty because, man, look at what happened to my kids. My my marriage broke up, and, and look at my children. We're carrying guilt because you know our our loved one is dying and 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 it's just like I should have done something different. You know, we we carry guilt in our lives that God never intends for us to carry. Scripture says in in Numbers 32, 23, God declares, you may be sure that your sin will find you out. it's so true, right? This, the time does not ease the guilt of sin. Only the blood of Jesus erases your skin. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. We sing that song. He wants to apply his blood to your life tonight to set you free from that guilt. Right And, 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 you know, that's one of the great lessons of this story We're, we're, we're discovering is forgiveness that can come. You know, when you believe and when you've repented, when there's been this change, Joseph wants to see if there's been a change of heart. Have they changed? Are they different than they were 20 years ago? You know, the story could go two paths, right? The path that it goes down is that these guys' hearts have changed, right? We're going to see that even more clearly. What would happen if they'd gone down the other path, right? If when, you know, the, the, the servant, the, the steward said, I'm taking him back, they would have said, see ya. And then it went back to Cain and said, sorry, Dad. <laughs> Too bad, so sad. Don't be mad. Right? Well, what would have happened? We don't know, but let me just suggest the Egyptian army would have got on their horses and would have chased those brothers down, and they would have faced the consequences of their sin that they had done against Joseph 20 years ago because there was no change of heart. Let's continue. Verse 16. We are now my Lord's slaves. Right? This is Judah. Judah stands up and he begins to speak to Joseph. He doesn't know who he is. He says, God has uncovered your servant's guilt. We are now my Lord's slaves. We ourselves and the one who was found to have the cup. But Joseph said, far be it from me to do such a thing. I'm a just guy. Only the man who was found to have the cup will become my slave. The rest of you go back to your father in peace. So Joseph gives them an out. You know, he's like, oh, go ahead. You guys are right. It's not your fault. It's his fault. In this next session that we're going to look at, 18 down to almost verse 34 to the end of the chapter pretty much. Incredible. If you look at it, there's so much we could go through in this passage, but we only have so much time tonight, and I'm running out of it really quickly. Um, you know, he he. he, he, he We're going to look at the intercession. You could read this as an intercessory prayer. As he stands in the gap for his little brother, for his father. Judah does. Judah, you know, the one that suggested, hey, let's sell Joseph. Verse 18. Then Judah went up to him and said, pardon your servant, my Lord. Let me speak a word to my Lord. Do not be angry with your servant. Though you are equal to Pharaoh himself. My Lord, ask his servants, do you have a father or a brother? And we answered, we have an aged father. And there's a young son born to him in his old age. His brother is dead, and he's the only one of his mother's sons left. And his father loves him. Then you said to your servants, bring him down to me so that I can see him for myself. And we said to my Lord, the boy cannot leave his father. If he leaves him, his father will die. But you told your servants... Unless your youngest brother comes down with you, you will not see my face again. When we went back to your servant, my father, we told him what the Lord had said. My Lord had said. Then our father said, go back and buy a little more food. We said, we can't go down. Only if our youngest brother is with us will we go. We cannot see the man's face unless our younger brother is with us, youngest brother is with us. Verse 27, your servant, my father said to us, you know that my wife bore me two sons. One of them went away from me. He said, and I'm sure he's been torn to pieces, and I've not seen him since. If you take this one from me too and harm comes to him, you will bring my gray head down to the grave in misery. So now, if my boy is not with us when I go back to your servant, my father, and if my father, whose life is closely bound up with the boy's life, sees that the boy is not there, he will die. Your servants will bring the gray head of our father down to the grave in sorrow. Your servant, Judah, is saying, I guaranteed the boy's safety to my father. I said, if I do not bring him back to you, I will bear the blame before you, my father, all my life. Now then, Please let your servant remain here as my Lord's slave in a place of the boy and let the boy return with his brothers. How can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? Do not let me see the misery that would come on my father. So Judah is now saying, let me stand in his place. You know, we could spend the rest of the night talking about how Judah is a type of Jesus where Jesus came and stands in our place, right? While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's what Judah's doing. He says, take me. Jesus, for me and you, said, take me. We could spend a lot of time looking at that. He's willing to forfeit his future and his life. He doesn't have to. 20 years ago, he didn't care about his little brother. He didn't care about his dad. He laughed. He sold Judah for profit. I mean, Joseph for profit. And now he's concerned he's going to break his dad's heart. Changed life. Something has happened in that 20-year period. Right? That brings us back to where we started. How can you tell if he's changed? How can you tell if your friend is telling the truth? How can you know if they've really repented? How, how, what, what should I do now? Right? Pastor Rick, Pastor Rick, what should I do? My friend did this to me. What should I do? Should, should, I, should I be their friend again or should I say no? When can someone be restored? Right? Their, their actions their works have to show a change of heart. You see, this passage of Scripture we're reading is instruction for us in our life today. It's a historical story. It's something that really happened. But in Romans chapter 15, verse 4, it says, For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us. Not just them, us. So we have to learn from this. It's instruction for us in dealing with people that have sinned against us. In, in Acts six six, Paul is standing trial before Festus and Agrippa. And he, he's telling them about what he's been doing, his ministry, why he's been in jail. And he says he went everywhere and he preached that people should repent and turn to God and demonstrate their repentance by their deeds. How do you know if your friend has changed? I'm so sorry. In in Luke chapter 3, verses 18 through 14, a long section where John the Baptist is confronting the religious leaders. And he tells them produce fruit in keeping with repentance. King James, some of us are old enough to remember old King Jimmy. He calls them works of repentance. We're looking for works of repentance. You know, they, they, they did wrong, right? You bring it home. Think, think about in our life. I mean, you, know, you, you could look at a Sunday school teacher, an elder, a pastor, a good friend. Someone has sinned against you. They did something. I, I was telling the ladies down front early tonight, you know, I've, I've been in Peru for a long time. I've been working with second-language people. And so sometimes I would pick easier words. And they were like, oh, please do that for us, right? <laughs> and, and, and a word came to my mind, a word that I know. And every time I look at it, I had to look up how to spell it because I couldn't spell it. I'm an engineer. And, and, and egregious. Spelled with an E, it doesn't seem right. Egregious. Something that is so bad. They've done something that's egregious, teaching false doctrine. You know, somebody's sharing something that's not right. Maybe someone's gossiped about you, talked behind your back, stabbed you in the back, had an affair. You know, one of these people, you know, had an affair, stole something from you, right? They're continuing in a lifestyle of sin and they get called out for it. When do you restore them? When does everything become, yeah, we're good? You know, they can say, I'm sorry. They can ask for forgiveness and we should forgive, right? We forgive as we've been forgiven. But through time, we need to see these works of repentance, right? We need to see that they have changed. And we're going to see that through everyday, ordinary trials. I, I am not saying, you know, set up some examination, put a silver cup in their purse as they leave, you know. I, I, I'm not saying do that, right? But there are going to be ordinary life happenstances, things that they're going to face. You know, like when, when I was leading the youth ministry, you know, and, and people would typically it would be girls would be like, oh, how do I know he's the right one? Right? How do I know what you're going to do? You know what? I'd say, watch how he treats his mom and how he treats other women. Because he's going to treat you just like that. Ordinary life situations that you're going to face, right, is going to reveal have they changed? Does his life live up to what's coming out of their mouth? I'm sorry, forgive me. Does our life live up to it? Really quick, I want to look at the first three verses of chapter 45. When when Pastor Dave asked me to teach, I'm like, I can't stop at the end of 44. Come on, you know. Verse 1 of chapter 45 says Then Joseph could no longer control himself before the attendants, and he cried out, Have everyone out, out of the room. Leave me alone in here, right? So there was no one with Joseph. When he made himself known to his brothers and he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him and Pharaoh's household heard about it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But the brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified in his presence. I I would guess, right? In verse 4, it says... Then the brothers, he said to his brothers, come close to me. You know, and they came close to him. This is is what happens with works of real repentance. When there's been a changed life, that relationships can be restored. Right? That someone that was a servant in God's hand can once again be used by God, right? When, when a friend that has stabbed you in the back, they can become your friend again, right? That relationships can be restored, and that's God's purposes. That's God's desire, right, is that people would be restored. It, you know, and, and when you look at this, again, I think this is an incredible picture of God and us, right? Peter preached. You know, he said, "Repent and believe, and you'll be saved." That repentance. We can see those works of repentance in our life, and when we have done that, right? If tonight you're here and you've never received Jesus Christ, I mean, you're here and you're seeing the Christmas lights. You're going, "Wow, what's all this about?" For God so loved the world, he sent his son that you might have eternal life if you would believe in him. You have that opportunity. And you have a broken relationship with God. And he wants to restore it. And in the end of the book, in the end of the book, in the book of Revelation, we see this picture where God says, if any of you are willing, The scripture says that when we enter heaven, God's going to say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into your rest. The flip side, just like the brothers, if they had said, see you to Benjamin, what happens if we say, sorry, God, I am not repenting. I am not believing. Or they say, yes, I got saved, but there's been no works of repentance in our life. You know, there's that horrifying scripture none of us want to read that says, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. Right? There's these two do paths that we have, right? There's a path that leads to life and there's a path that leads to death. Come to Jesus. The the scripture says that the path is narrow, that, that the door is narrow, right? But everyone can fit through it. It's open to all. If you desire to enter, you can come tonight. You can get saved on December 13th on a Wednesday night. And God will one day say to you, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into your rest. Let me pray for you guys tonight. God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you that you give us insight in how we can understand how to treat others around us. God, when we've been wronged, we, we can forgive and people can be restored. Lord, help us to, to grab a hold of that. Help us to be people that when we've hurt someone else, that we, we don't just say we're sorry, but we live it out. That we would be changed. God, I thank you that you call us to repent, to believe that we might come to you. Lord, I, I pray for everyone in here tonight, Lord. God, if they've never trusted you as their Lord and Savior, that tonight they would say, Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I know I'm a broken person that you died for me. That, as we've heard tonight, that, that you've come and stood in our place. You've taken our sin upon you. And that if I would receive you, that I could have life. To all that believe on your name. God, I, I pray for those that right now tonight are believing on your name. Whether they're here or sitting in their homes. That they would put their hope and their trust in you. Thank you, God. We bless you, Lord. And God, I pray for those broken relationships in this room tonight. God, that you would restore them by your power, by your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. I I just want to remind you, if you're parents of youth in here tonight, don't forget your kids are out there. And uh, don't forget your kids. Please don't forget your kids, right? And uh, God bless you. Look forward to seeing you this weekend. Praise the Lord.